Welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions Podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that has hit the market, and cap off with discussing regulatory updates. This 20-minute roundup is the curated shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. Well, to start, Happy New Year to all our listeners. Happy New Year. Um, hopefully 2021 will be a better year for everyone. So 2020 was certainly a blockbuster year for sustainable finance, with 2020 issuances doubling that of 2019. So maybe let's start off with a recap of 2020. Issuances of green and uh, sustainability bonds almost doubled in 2020, reaching 468 billion euros. So with more than half being issued in Europe, in euros, 240 billion, but the fastest growing uh, GNS market was the the, the GBP, which is a pound, which grew over 330%. The dollar-denominated issuances also caught up at 150%. Uh, total outstanding of the GNS market reached Euro 1 trillion, with over 54% being Euro-denominated, 27% in USD, uh, followed by SEK, JPY, GBP, and uh, Canadian dollars. So green and sustainability bonds now represent more than 5.3% of Euro-denominated market, up from 3.1% over a year ago. 2020 was the year of social bonds with more than 130 billion euros issued, which is a 7.5 times the 2019 issuance rate, with the green format becoming more you know, of a, of a mature format, with being only about 17% of issuances. What else caught your eye, Nick? Yeah, hi, and a happy, uh, happy new year to all our listeners and to you as well, um, Cheryl. So yeah, look, lots, of, uh, lots of things in between finishing off a very busy year. Um, a couple of things jumped out, particularly the ICMA uh, Climate Transition Handbook um, came out in, the, in early December, and that was highly, uh, highly anticipated, and I think we'd even flagged that in previous episodes. Again, fantastic to see more reference points around transition. I think we said last year was going to be the year of transition, but it ended up being maybe more of the year of COVID, and now this year is about you know, more meaty sustainability-linked um, bonds and then really getting into some more um, sophisticated transition-type uh, instruments. That's so great to have uh, ICMA come out uh, with the transition um, handbook, if you like. Um, I'd encourage all our listeners to, to check that out. Basically, it consists of four items, which are really what we would call at Sustainalytics issuer-level considerations for transition. You look at the transaction versus a green bond. There's a much higher level of uh, scrutiny put on um, a strategy uh, for, for a, uh, an issuer. Um, and actually, the way that we look at transition and the world of transition as far as issuer-level considerations goes, marries and maps to virtually exactly the same thing as ICMA put forward. Four quadrants, um, issuers, uh, climate transition strategy and governance. Quadrant two, business model and environmental materiality to focus on those issues connected to a use of proceeds instrument or otherwise. Climate transition strategy to be science-based, again, keeps coming up, and then some implementation transparency. So I'm rattling through that pretty quick, but um, a really good document to check out. So do do that. And for those who was were racing through the back end of last year, also don't forget to check out, if you haven't already, the CBI transition white paper, which is a really good read check out the ICMA document, look at some of the work Sustainalytics are doing and working on. And then I believe Transition Pathway Initiative uh, are also coming up with some really good reference points within the next couple of months. So big year for, uh, for transition, Cheryl. So I was really happy to see that. 
Uh, what about yourself, Cheryl? I think even that um, the, the CBI and other things you wanted to mention. Yes, yes. So the, the CBI uh, white paper you'd mentioned was uh, actually released in September. Um, and I guess September was a really busy, busy month with a lot of SLBs. So <laughs> we just wanted to, to remind our listeners again about this great piece of work. Um, it talks about the five core principles for a transition. Uh, and they try to lay a groundwork for the transition label to be used so that you know investors can more easily identify these climate-proof investments. And they propose five principles of transition with impact. And, and these are very similar to what you know, the ICMA transition handbook talks about being aligned to zero carbon by 2050 and needing to half your emissions by 2030, being led by scientific experts, um, making sure that there is a credible transition goal um, and you don't count offsets. Um, it also includes an assessment of current technologies which can be used to determine the decarbonization pathways and it needs to be backed by operating metrics rather than just you know, a, a fluffy commitment or a pledge. Also to note, CBI also published a, a green infrastructure investment opportunity paper about Philippines, which is another country which we see activity heating up. But uh, maybe we can move on now to a little bit about regulatory updates. Nick, what have you seen in the market in December? Yeah, sure. So in between um, all sorts of other things happening, maybe one of our listeners can write in and explain exactly the EU legislative process for the EU taxonomy. But um, I guess to let everyone know that there uh, that continues to progress, I think. It will largely stay in you know, current form, I think. Uh, but there was a bit of a debate and some minor changes around some of the building criteria and other things. And Sean Kidney from CBI had some interesting points to, to raise about that. So EU taxonomy, every month we'll mention something about it. Um, it seems to be moving through the legislative process further, although it will be interesting to see with some key lobby groups still looking at things like um, gas and, and nuclear, um, how, that, uh, how that changes. Still on Euro land or Eurozone, um, there was a couple of interesting articles, uh, this one on environmental finance, about the ECB looking to stress test more for climate risks going forward. Over the, the podcast from uh, last year, in and out, Cheryl, over the year, we've mentioned a couple of different times, different stress testing regimes being brought in, the, the MAS in Singapore also looking to do the same thing. So um, a lot of um, I guess the, the, the ante is going to be upped on the banks to demonstrate that resilience with some climate-related stress tests thrown at them. So let's see what the results are, what the results are for, uh, for those. Yeah, and definitely this is also a recurring theme or trend that we see even on the corporate side of the business with money managers, such as you know, Schroeder's uh, CEO, Peter Harrison, uh, state, stating a really great quote, not all profits are created equal and calling for more aggressive tracking and the impact and the ENS events on corporate earnings and investments. So we see uh, a lot more call, uh, continuous call for better corporate disclosures around their climate change. Also in December, we celebrated the five-year anniversary of the Paris Agreement. Um, and in this year's summit, we were warned that the world is in danger of missing the Paris climate targets. You know, five years after, the world is still isn't doing enough to combat climate change even though we note that progress has been made in the summit with more than over 80 world leaders, including China's Xi Jinping, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and the Pope, all joining and making commitments to the Paris Agreement. Um, China's entry was particularly eagerly awaited, not just because they're the world's largest uh, emitter of greenhouse gas emissions, but they also recently promised to reach the net zero emissions target by 2060. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess... Um, taking that a little bit further too, Cheryl, there's been a lot of news over the month about China's ambitions um, in this area, the way that they will get to 2060. So 
hopefully in upcoming podcast episodes, we'll pull apart some of the different commitments that either corporates and governments has made and, and maybe have a look at some of the, the, the robust elements of those or the things that need to come after the commitment to, to really embed um, some of those commitments in regulatory structures and see the rubber hit the road. But we know that you know, China is committed to these areas and, and what they're doing will no doubt be breathtaking uh, once more of that rolls on. So what else did you see, um, Cheryl? Anything else on the US side of the climate uh, equation? Yes, so certainly. That's another superpower, the US. With the Biden administration being sworn in this week, they're being celebrated for their decision to rejoin the Paris Agreement in one of its first executive orders right after President Joe Biden was sworn in. So among the flurry of paperwork coming from his desk were executive orders calling for a review of the Trump era rulemaking around the environment and reinstituting stricter standards for the fuel economy, for methane emissions, for building efficiency and overall emissions. So just like how there there are general principles for accounting and finance in the future, we'll see in the U.S. accounting to account for the impact of climate through what is called the social cost of carbon. So very interesting thing to keep an eye out for. And over in the U.S. in the U.K., um, Boris Johnson, the prime minister, has announced that uh, they will end direct government support for fossil fuel energy sector overseas uh, during the Climate Ambition Summit. So this will see the UK end export finance, aid funding and trade promotion for new crude oil, natural gas or thermal coal projects with very limited exceptions. So this is a very significant change for the UK government uh, in the last four years because the government had actually supported £21 billion of UK oil and gas exports through trade promotion export finance. So we're starting to see more of these types of decisions being made and this will certainly create more pressure on the market participants. That kind of rounds up uh, our regulatory and country updates. December was certainly a bit of a blur for me and Nick. Deal activity was very strong and we saw quite a few issuers trying to squeeze in some last minute deals right up to the 11th minute. But what were some of the notable green bonds issued in December, Nick? Yeah, as you said, uh, Cheryl, like any other month, I think I say it's another smorgasbord. So we're getting used to the smorgasbords, but we've trimmed it down a little bit this month so we don't talk to uh, talk too long for the podcast and can really get into the 2021 themes. Um, so just a couple of, uh, of interesting themes that have, have come out. So Latin America, it continues to sort of rise, shall we say. Um, so Costa Rica looking at issuing a green bond. That was an interesting one. Japan also recently uh, came out with a net zero commitment. Talk about them maybe pushing back their first sovereign. So let's, uh, let's await for that. It would be great for them to do. Uh, Taiwan, uh, there was a semiconductor issuer which uh, came to market. So again, Taiwan's been a little bit quiet for some time after a really strong 2018. Um, So hopefully they uh, can come back into the market. An interesting one, uh, US Steel actually did a a green bond. In Sustainalytics way of thinking, we'd look at that more uh, from a transition point of view. But good to see at least some steel companies engaging and being interested in sustainable finance and certainly debatable points on what format that should or, or shouldn't uh, shouldn't take. So lots lots to happen around transition for sure going forward. A deal that we worked on, and I guess one of the other areas I think we'll see a lot of interest in this year in the ICT space was uh, Vodafone Ziggo. Uh, hopefully I've, I've pronounced that right. So that's a piece of work that um, Sustainalytics worked, uh, worked on. And then we've already seen Telcom Italia go to market in, I think, January uh, already for 2021. So telcos, they're coming, lots of interesting things they're doing to either their own operations or enabling green uh, green services and other things. If we look across in Japan, J-Power, 
did a maiden uh, maiden green bond. Engie uh, raised a uh, raised a hybrid, so both on on the renewable side. Banks um, also were, were pretty active over the month. China Development Bank uh, raising a green bond. There was also a, a Mexican loan firm more on the FI side. I'm going to not do this justice. Um, Operadora de Servicos Mega. So we'll just call that Mega uh, Mega Bank or Mega uh, Mega FI. Um, so good to see more of these. It's about diversity too. Different markets, different markets, um, participants, different geographies coming to market. And as we know, the banks generally finance a, a real mixture of both green and and social uh, use of proceeds as they fund their uh, expansion or refinancing their loan uh, their loan books. Handels Bank from Sweden also did a uh, did a green bond again. Good to see the the, the Nordics um, continue some issuance there, and I'll, and also Buck If Bank uh, from Turkey also entered the market. So we've seen a couple of Turkish banks over the last year enter into the market, which is um, which is good to see. And also we won't mention them by name, but some continued good deals in the property space, which are you know very well. Uh, understood part of the uh, sustainable finance markets and certainly more property companies. Great to um, uh, great to see going forward. We also saw an interesting one from uh, from a mu- from a museum. Not sure if you've been to this one, Sharon. New York's Whitney Museum. Yes, I have. Or Whitney Museum. Yeah, Whitney. Whitney. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. A Whitney Museum. That's um. You might say, what's a what's a museum issuing a bond again at green lead certification for um. Uh, for that, so again, diversity really good to see some different types of entities, some different types of market participants coming to market. Um, Store Enzo that Sustainalytics has worked for before in the paper space in Finland. Again, the Nordics um, showing some ongoing activity. And another uh, interesting one with I'm getting all the tongue twisters this month. Um, Cortesaria Amorim, um, who's actually, believe it or not, a cork maker. So maybe they're putting the corks in uh, the champagne, which will hopefully get to uh, get to open a few bottles this year. Let's uh, let's see. Um, but um, yeah, again, the key thing for me about some of these is is the diversity. Uh, so they're funding things around renewables, energy efficiency, eco efficient product, um, some things related to their technologies and processes, and we actually worked on that uh, on that deal as well. So we'll have to check out their corks, so to speak, for. Uh, for sure. So yeah, busy month, Cheryl. And was there any time amongst all of that happening in December for the green loans, Cheryl? There must yeah. have been a couple. Yeah, let's just raise just like two green loans. Uh, there was another green shipping loan. And again, this is what Sustainalytics would probably view more as a transition uh, kind of loan. But uh, MEFG and the Development Bank of Japan were lenders on these two non-recourse credit facilities uh, up to USD $155 million for the refinancing of two LNG carriers. So these carriers were owned in a JV belonging to NYK. So this was another sh- a green shipping bond issuer previously, um, as well as SCF Group and Samudera Shipping. Uh, limited. Um, over in Australia, we worked on Canberra Metro's uh, green loan, where where they operate an electric rail system, and they got a AUD two hundred eighty six million uh, loan to refinance the existing uh, facility. And this is the first Australian public private partnership of its kind, um, and it's also CBI certified. Uh, what about SLBs, Nick? Anything interesting to note? Oh, SLBs. I, I'm not sure if there actually was any issuance um, in the earlier part of December. We've seen a sort of a flurry of transactions early January and beyond, in particular Sustainalytics work with New World Development, which was excellent to see one of the first, if not, I believe, the first 
um, in Asia. We'll talk more about those transactions when we review January going forward. But I guess the sentiment around some of the articles I read was really the potential for growth. Again, we think they'll coexist with transition bonds. There's a place for both diversity of label, diversity of format, diversity of issuer is really going to what's uh, mix all that together to really create further sustainable growth um, in these markets. So nothing too much to mention on that, Cheryl, but January, we might need a separate post- podcast just for SLBs. They're running, uh, they're running hot, that's for sure. And social bonds, there must have been a couple of those, hopefully, to finish off the year. That's right. Yep. I would like to flag just two SBB, which is a Swedish social housing company. They debuted their first social bond. It was a Euro 700 million social bond with a coupon of 0.75%. There was uh, also Credit Agricole um, was, had issued a Euro 1 billion social bond. And Credit Agricole has been a key issuer in the green bond market. With this, this is their first inaugural social bond issuance. So it's very nice and very exciting to see a social bond, a dedicated social bond from a bank. And they aim to reduce social inequalities by revitalizing some of the most vulnerable territories and to promote employment and to give access to essential goods and services. What about sustainability-linked loans? Quite a lot of sustainability-linked loans, I believe, in December. It was, sure. Yeah, so a pretty uh, busy month for SLLs. Um, so the, the, just a couple to mention uh, A-hold, there's Delhaize, I'm sure I'm probably saying that wrong too. Some science-based targets related to carbon reductions and, and a few more linked to reducing uh, food waste. Um, so that's, uh, that's good to see, a supermarket um, chain. Another private equity came to uh, EQT, signed a second ESG link loan. And we saw a couple in the US and other parts of the world and even Singapore last year. So again, this funding diversifying into different types of fund structures, which is excellent. Um, Sanofi, also a large, uh, a large pharma company, also did a significant uh, sized sustainability-linked loans with a, with a mixture of targets, some of those sites based on, on GHG reductions and a few other uh, points as well related to their business and on around contribution to eradicating polio and, and some, other, uh, some other different types of things, more specifically pharma-related. Uh, we also saw um, you know, property, as we mentioned before, big player in the in the use of proceeds market, Hong Lung, or Hang Lung, I should say, um, in Hong Kong, uh, coming to uh, coming to market. Bangladesh, we've mentioned sporadically over the year. Uh, Bangladesh Steel did a transaction with HSBC with the interest rate uh, or the margin, I should say, linked to some energy efficiency initiatives. And the last and not least to mention over the month was a, a transaction uh, that Downer. That Downer did, and, and, and we worked um, pretty closely on, on this as well. A sustainability link low about 1.4 billion Aussie, which is great to see with a mixture of you know GHGs and and other um, social based KPIs. So yeah, certainly a busy month for uh, sustainability linked uh, linked loans. Okay, and anything, Gerald, specifically on transition? I guess we've talked about transition a lot already, but. Um... Any particular transactions with that label over the month? Yeah, just maybe one to flag. EXA Investment Management had underwritten a Euro 100 million 10-year transition bond issued by French lender BPCE to refinance loans and projects undertaken by its subsidiary Nectisis. So a lot of some of these um, specific projects include refinancing loans for bauxite and copper mining projects because of the due to the role that these metals will play in the transition to low-carbon technologies, as well as electricity transmission and distribution assets. 
There are also SLLs linked to aluminum producers that were as part of these loans that we refinance. So quite a significant milestone, as BPCE uh, Chief Financial Officer Jean-Francois would say. Yes, maybe you could touch on you know the last uh, bit, which is sustainable products. Any interesting labeled products in the market, Nick? Worthy yeah, to mention? Yeah, sure, sure. A couple of things. Probably people a bit like us had run out of a bit of steam by the time December uh, rolled around. But uh, there's an article um, in uh, in Hong Kong about some uh, interest rate hedges being connected to, uh, to some sustainability goals. We saw green uh, deposits from uh, from Standard Chartered again. They've had that in place before, and we've done a bit of work with them uh, previously. And also some insurance products, sort of related to green transaction from uh, all the Hermes. So let's um let's see if there's any developments on those. So overall, a, a cracking way to end the year with lots of different things happening, um, Cheryl. And that was the news on sustainable products for the month. Thanks, Nick. All right, folks. That's about all the time we have for this episode. Links to the articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on our LinkedIn and Twitter at Sustainalytics and send any questions or feedback our way at podcast at sustainalytics.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time.